Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good evening, everybody. <laughs> I forgot to turn the light on. Welcome to California Haunts Radio. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host, I hope, for the next hour. <laughs> it's already one of those nights. I want to welcome you all here. Uh, we've got a great show tonight. Uh, really great show. I always say a really fine show, right? Really great show. Uh, anyway, I am also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team. Based out of Sacramento, California, we are 45 strong up and down the state, which means that if you have a need and you think you might have, you think I'm trying to get this position, and you think you might have something paranormal going on in your home or a business, we can get to you. You know, we may not be in your exact county, but we can get somebody over there. You know, there's always somebody within range. So look us up at CaliforniaHaunts.org, CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. Look me up on Facebook. Look uh, up California Haunts. Paranormal Investigation Team on Facebook, or even Meetup, because we're over on Meetup. And speaking of Meetup, on Saturday at 7 p.m. Pacific, I'm going to be teaching a Psychic Development Class 1. And what that entails is that if you think you might have psychic abilities, or maybe you have them, but you're kind of trying to figure them out and hone in on them and stuff, this is the class for you. This is a basic class. I teach I teach protection stuff. Why? Because when, when you start to open that door, excuse me, one second, I got this bad thing. When you start to open that door, anything and everything comes in. And that's what a lot of people don't realize, is that although you may have these abilities, you know, you get confident because you've been looking, seeing stuff in your house and stuff. The problem is, not everything that comes through that door is nice. And then I get called out. My team ends up calling up because because something inadvertently ends up in your house and it goes you know, it snowballs from there. So what I teach is I teach you how to open and close that psychic door. I teach you how to open it just enough to look out, to get through, and slam shut so nothing comes through or nothing bad comes through. Okay, so you will learn how to do that. You're going to learn protection techniques to protect you and your family. You're going to learn how to leave your body and go to your Go to your psychic library, spirit library. You're going to meet your spirit guides. You're going to meet your spirit animal. There's also a message for you in the spirit library. We're going to do that as well. And in the meantime, I'm going to have you practicing things like ESP and different psychic techniques to see which one you favor more. You might be somebody that can do multiple things. I've, I've known people like that over the years. Or you might be you might specialize in one or two things. So that's what we do. So if you're interested in that, Visit California Haunts meetup page, and the information's over there. And tonight, around 10, 30, 11 o'clock, visit the California Haunts radio page, because I'm going to have a link up over there for you to join that class. And that is this Saturday night at 7 p.m. Pacific. Okay? See, that was painless. If you're watching from Facebook tonight, do me a favor and hit that follow button. If you're watching from TikTok, hit that follow button. And if you're watching from Twitch, hit that follow button. And especially if you're watching from YouTube, there's a little ghost in the bottom right-hand corner. See him down there? Yeah, he's right there. See if I can point at him. Over here. 
over here. There we go. See, he's right there. Click on him, and that'll make you a, a subscriber to uh, our shows. And if you look at our page on YouTube, we've got more than 250 videos sitting there with different topics. It's not just paranormal stuff. No, 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 no. We cover all kinds of stuff. In fact, what, last night we were talking about El Was it last night? No, the night before we were talking about Elvis. You know, so we cover different non-paranormal topics. So come on in, subscribe. And just like tonight's guest, Mary, Mary A. Joyce, it's going to be a great show. Love having people on like her. All right? And while you're watching, if you like the show, you like it enough, and you think you want to share it with somebody, feel free to share it. Let people know about this show. We want people to know about this show. All right? All right. Anyway, so my guest tonight, uh, I heard her on another show, which is what else is me, right? And uh, I thought it was very interesting because I, you know, I loved the space race part, you know, back in the old days, back in the um, Mercury astronaut times and all that. And Werner von Braun, I hope I said it right, Braun. Wow. Last time I tried to like speak German, <laughs> it was quite funny. Anyway, he was one of the German scientists who came here to help you know, to assist with that, that you know, our, our rockets and all that stuff, you know, in, in, the, in the early years of, of our space, space programs. And, and what blew my mind about the whole thing was that, you know, you don't hear a lot of scientists talking about belief in extraterrestrials or anything like that. But apparently, he did. And Mary has information about that. I just thought that was so cool. And that's why I really wanted to bring Mary on so we could talk about Werner, you know, and his belief in that. And she knows a gentleman who knew Werner, and this gentleman told her stuff that he knew that, you know, I guess Werner told him and blah, 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 blah how, how that works down the line, about belief in extraterrestrials and life on Mars and things like that. So I'm really excited about tonight. To talk about that because you don't get that from scientists you know you just don't or and if you do it's it's very seldom just like with ghost hunting right it's hard because you've always got your your debunkers and you know and they're always there and no matter you know no matter if a ghost like like slaps them in the face two or three times they're not going to believe anyway right but there are believers out there i mean i have people on my staff that are have phds that actually believe in this stuff so, I mean, you know, you, you get it, but you don't get it all the time. And this is why I just thought this, this thing with, with Mr. Von Braun was interesting. And that's why I wanted to bring Mary on. So, that being said, without further ado, I bring you Mary A. Joyce. Good evening. How you doing? Good. How are you? Looks like light and dark here when I see our pictures next to each other. Maybe I should dim things down a bit. <laughs> so tell you me about love. you I was going to tell you that you would have loved living where I did at one time I lived on Cocoa Beach and I was right between the Kennedy Space Center and Patrick Air Force Base and oh God, I was yeah. right, right on the ocean so when the launches went off you could feel it you could feel it beneath your feet um, you could see the the, the secret people coming in. Supposedly, some of these launches were secret, but if you lived on the beach, you knew about them because certain things would happen. But while I was there, 
I got to meet some of the people who worked for NASA. And one of the men was Clark McClellan. And Clark McClellan worked for NASA for 35 years. He was, he was doubly trained. He was trained as a, um, a, a, an aeronautical engineer. He was also trained as an astronaut, but he didn't fly into space. He learned, he was trained as an astronaut so that he could uh, operate uh, the vehicles from mission control if it was necessary, and he could solve problems on the ground if something were to happen up in the air. So the man was really uh, a major link for me to learn many, many things, and his own experiences are quite um, astounding before we even get to uh, Werner von Braun. Um, uh, I think it was in 1991, he was at mission control uh, they have these monitors. He's watching everything because if something goes wrong, he has to step in and take over controls or help with what's going on. So anyhow, he suddenly sees on the screen the, the camera view that was aimed at the open bay shuttle. And in the shuttle, op the open bay, there was uh, a very tall alien in a spacesuit. He was you know, in the neighborhood of eight or nine feet tall. He was standing talking to two American astronauts who were considerably shorter. And off at the end of uh, the, the, um, the shuttle, there was a UFO that was uh, parked. And that's where this uh, alien had come from. And it wasn't your saucer-shaped um, um, craft. It was sort of like a really modern a uh, wing type creature, very, very smooth lines. So he got to see that on the screen. And then uh, at another time, um, one of his friends on a different flight uh, saw the camera catch a tall alien about the same height inside the crew uh, camera uh, space. And those spaces are built for people that aren't any taller than six feet tall. So he had to be all hunched down. Now, at the time that I really got to meet um, Clark in person, he was in a terrible state of mind. He um, didn't think that the public should be um, shielded from all this information. He felt the public had a right to know more. And he talked too much. So he talked about this uh, space alien in the cargo uh, bay. And um, so he was in the process of losing his job when I met him. And he was very, very distressed. Um, you know, they did everything. They cut his salary. They cut his benefits. They um, essentially blackballed him so he couldn't even get a decent job once he left there. To double the anguish that he was expressing, um, at a, 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 a small house that I was invited to, um, he had lost his girlfriend. And his girlfriend was, um, I'm going to go blank on her first name. Last name, last name was Resnick. She was on the space uh, shuttle command that crashed or blew up. And so he had lost his uh, astronaut girlfriend. He had, was in the process of losing his job the man was really tormented. So I got to see him at that state in his life. Um, it was later that I learned that his connection with uh, Werner von Braun. And that happened when Clark was working 
at the Kennedy Space Center on the Saturn One mission. And Van, um, Von Braun would come in from Houston uh, because of that mission on many occasions. So between 1959 and 1966, or essentially in the early 60s, those two became friends. They became friends because they were working on the same Saturn project. They became friends because uh, they had a deep love of space. They believed in life beyond Earth. Um, they were into astronomy. They were they were into other life forms, and so they had a real common bond that you probably wouldn't have ever guessed. And when um, a lot of times they would have like award meetings or special meetings um, at the Kennedy Space Center, and they were the special awards were held at um, different hotels on the beach. And so Warner von Braun, who was a, a smoker. Uh, would take smoke breaks, but he would always call Clark to come out and join him. And they would either sit around the pool or out on the beach, and uh, they would talk where they could be away from everybody else. And it was during those kinds of conversations that uh, Von Braun began to reveal things to Clark. That is just so fascinating to me. And when you talk about the space shuttle, now, obviously, they, we never saw the footage because they were hiding it from us. Somewhere NASA has footage of these aliens? Uh, they, I don't believe they would have erased it. Mm -hmm. They would erase, They would keep the public from seeing it, but they wouldn't erase something like that. Right. Right. I just find that incredible. But it makes sense. I mean, we can't expect to be orbiting the Earth, you know, and exploring out there without running into something that's already been out there for years and years and years, because they're going to want to check yeah. us out. Right. And uh, I know you want to get to Werner von Braun, and we will focus on some of the stuff that he, he said. <laughs> You'll listen, huh? Um, I could go for hours. I'm good. <laughs> uh, Clark was also friends with, um, I think his name is James Irwin. And anyhow, he was on the Apollo 15 mission. Mm -hmm. And I cannot bring up my cheat sheet and stay on camera because it would pop right all over you whatever you're seeing. Um, at least I think it would. Anyhow, um, they he told Clark that they saw structures on the moon. They He and the commander of the Apollo 15, they also saw tr uh, some kind of vehicle tracks on the moon. And this was before we had a rover. So the tracks were not being made by um, humans. And... Um, they, you know, they they clearly saw um, that there was uh, activity there, and there were ETs up there, and they were on the backside of the moon, and they didn't want um, humans to be um, interfering with that. So that's the kind of um, connection that uh, Clark had. Um, but anyhow, go ahead and ask me a question, and I'll take it. I'll, I'll respond to you. For us to get up there ahead of the Russians. I'm, I didn't, there, it clicked is, off, I'm sorry. Okay. Is that why there was such a push for us to beat the Russians to the moon? Because we didn't want, we didn't want them in contact with these aliens? You think? Uh, at my understanding, at that point in time, the ETs didn't want any humans up there. Okay. Or they certainly didn't want them on the backside. So mm -hmm. I don't think it was us trying to compete with that. Um, maybe it was, but... Um, that was the major factor. Now, what? 
how did Werner, you know, being a scientist and having such a scientific mind, come into the belief that these things existed? Um, as you know, he was part of the Nazi um, program uh, that developed uh, uh, their own UFOs. In fact, the major uh, sighting of UFOs over the, our capital in Washington in 1952 uh, were actually UFOs created by the Germans. And the Germans were getting extraterrestrial assistance, again, according to uh, Werner von Braun, mm -hmm. from... Uh, Aliens uh, from Al, I'm going to mess it up, Al Banaran, Al Dimaran. Uh, but anyhow, they were a race of um, uh, aliens that uh, were assisting the Nazis. Now, why they chose to assist the Nazis, it makes you wonder. I do not know. But he described them as um, tall, blonde, um, uh, looking very human. And this, they were the Aryans. And this is the reason that Hitler, even though he was Jewish and had dark hair, uh, was promoting the uh, Aryan race, the blondes with the blue eyes, uh, because this was um, the superior species that was interacting with the Nazis. Now, this makes you wonder, because you hear about the alien breeding programs, you know, and I'm just, it just makes you wonder if, if they were Tom Blonde. Because they'll sound like the Nordic ones, too, because there's a Nordic bunch of aliens that are supposed to be blonde hair, blue eyes. But it makes you wonder what was really going on with, with, with that whole thing with the Aryans. You know what I mean? Whether maybe they were all hybrids at that time. I'm probably going to get all kinds of email from Aryan. I think, I believe that uh, Werner von Braun even said that uh, Earth was like a nursery where um, lots of um, um, hybrids were being created and a lot of different species were coming here. And... Uh, uh, he certainly, he's not alone in that, mm -hmm. but we've got to remember that the information that he was providing to Clark McClellan was back in the early 60s. Mm -hmm. So we've come a long way from there, and a lot of things that were just totally unthinkable at that time are now a little bit more acceptable to, to at least people that would be watching your show. Well, you know, the whole thing with the UFO, you know, the... Um... Germans creating the flying saucers makes a lot of sense because there are a lot of reports from pilots during World War II of seeing these things. Correct. You know, and it was always during heavy battle that they, that, that, that they saw them. So that makes that makes 100% right. logic. Right. And uh, um, they were making these down in um, Antarctica. And the uh, aliens have, to this day, have a base in Antarctica. Um, and the Germans developed uh, a place that they called the Shangri-La of Hitler. Um, and he, it was built so that when he escaped uh, Germany, um, that was a place he could be safe and go to. And uh, he did not die in, in uh, Germany uh, after World War II, like many people, like we've been taught. And there's been many sources now that have said that. But Werner von Braun said that back in the 60s and that uh, a lookalike was used to uh, uh, be the one that died in Germany so that Hitler could, es could escape. And uh, so the fact that he was saying that so long ago and researchers now have found things that confirm this, I think is quite fascinating. Uh, he was equally ahead of his time uh, in sharing information about Mars. And he said that there was uh, 
uh, a very sophisticated ancient civilization that once lived there and that um, uh, there was uh, some kind of destruction on Mars, which has really been confirmed in so many ways. Either there was uh, like an atomic bomb or war that destroyed the atmosphere or destroyed the planet. Uh, the other working theory is that uh, a planet that used to be where the ast uh, asteroid belt is uh, exploded and destroyed the atmosphere on Mars. And Werner von Braun said that uh, um, they had a, such advanced technology back then that many of them were able to escape to the nearest viable planet, which was Earth. And imagine hearing this statement um, back in the 60s that there are those among us who are Martians. Well, I've always felt that. I've always felt that, you know, if, if they ever disclose anything as far as, you know, UAPs and all this, that people are going to be shocked to find out that their neighbors across the street are the hybr are hybrids. Well, or they may themselves be hybrids, or they right. may, and, they and maybe it. maybe every single one of us on the earth is, because uh, there's been, a, I think, many different uh, alien species have been busy um, uh, doing genetic um, development. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So did Werner, um, uh, you know, from the stories that, that, that you were told from this gentleman, did Werner have contact with, with, with you know, with, with the Martians or, or the aliens directly, or was it through the his superiors? No, he, he said that he had, uh, he had met them in person. Um, and Clark said that when he talked to some of the uh, Germans that were brought over with Project Paperclip that worked mm -hmm. at NASA, that they, that some of those said that they had also seen them. So, um, oh, and I, I'll divert a little bit. There is a man named, he, he's no longer living, but his name was um, Bill Tompkins. And he worked at the highest level of NASA. He worked directly uh, for uh, Werner von Braun. And he said uh, very elaborately in his own book that um, uh, there were aliens working at NASA and they, were, they looked like beautiful human women. But these human-looking aliens, beautiful women, um, who often were just at the level of secretaries, um, were providing the information that allowed our space program to develop as quickly as it did. And it, from the time that President Kennedy, you know, launched the idea of going to the moon, um, it happened rather quickly. And we probably couldn't have done it that quickly without some kind of outside help. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. See, this is the stuff I talked about the other night too. That makes me wonder about people like these, 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 like Tesla. You know, people like that, or the people like Gene Roddenberry. You know, the ones that have written about the future and pretty much what the, what what they come up with we're using now. You know, and it makes me wonder if either they're not like hybrids and they don't realize it, or the aliens are are in their heads telling them this stuff. Could go either way, couldn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because a lot, because because um, except for uh, us human beings here on Earth, I think uh, telepathy is the uh, preferred way of communicating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now this brings me back to all the rumors about Area Fifty One. I mean, was Werner helping the U.S.? I mean, obviously the aliens were were helping us with the space program, but with what Werner knew about the space the, the spacecraft. 
could he have been helping the U.S. start to develop these type of crafts too? Absolutely. Absolutely. But there's different races and there's a, um, I know you explore a lot of things. And another thing that you might want to check into is a man named Charles Hall. And he worked, um, maybe you have already, um, he worked as a weather, um, I don't know what you want to call it, a weatherman uh, that would be out with the balloons uh, uh, near Area 51. And he was isolated. He was out where other people weren't. Um, and there was a race that they call the tall white aliens that had a base there. Mm -hmm. And he described them as um, like having a bus station here where cosmic tourists could come for a while and uh, then they would move on. But that was a base where they would, they would be. And some would stay for a long time and some would not. Mm -hmm. uh, they were tall and skinny and white. And, uh, um, but they were able, I, th I think it's really kind of funny, the women wanted to go into Las Vegas uh, just to kind of see the sights and I don't know. So even though they looked strange, they dressed up as women as best they could. And if I remember, um, Charles Hall somehow got uh, let's say Sears catalog, some kind of catalogs for them so they could pick clothes and they would try to disguise themselves and they figured that they could get away with it in Las Vegas because everything's weird in Vegas and people right. are, you know, there's a lot of people looking quite freaky um, or there have been. And uh, this was a big thrill for the, uh, the women, tall white aliens, which I thought was kind of interesting. That is interesting. The other thing that I've been thinking too while you've been talking is that all these photos, you know, of these supposed conspiracy guys that look at Mars and, and, and see things built, built up on Mars, then that would make, you know, those all true. If this is the case, if, if, if a word or saying is true. Um, it, it's proving to be that. And uh, I'm jumping all over the place in response to your questions. Um, um, I've just come out with a brand new book and it wasn't one that I started out to do, but I have a website called skyshipsovercashers.com and I'm uh, the editor and do most of the research for it. So over the years, I collected and found firsthand all sorts of evidence of activities on Mars and a lot of other places. And uh, the book is, the short title is um, uh, Spy in the Sky. Long title is Spy in the Sky, uh, secrets and cover-ups on Earth and beyond. And so I get into the very unusual um, UFOs around the sun. I get into uh, some of the things that the astronauts have seen in deep space. Uh, I get into um, uh, uh, the uh, cities that are starting to appear in the melting ice in Antarctica. Uh, all of these things, I have used a tool that anybody can use, Google Earth, and it just takes a lot of time. And it was over a great period of years. And I found um, the book is packed with photos. It's not like a book packed with words. It's a book packed with pictures because it's, it's photographic evidence of things happening on Mars, for example. Uh, I've got um, uh, Google Earth photos that I've taken of uh, uh, UFOs, one parked on the planet, 
and two different ones that crashed into the planet. Um, in one of my um, uh, explorations of Mars, uh, I decided to not go around east to west or west to east like you normally would do if you were exploring a planet. I tipped it and I started exploring it from north to south pole. If I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have discovered that there's over 20 entrances all in a line over 16 miles that are contemporary that go into Mars. And they're basically all square cut like this and look similar, but they'll vary in size and the edges around it will vary from one to the other. So we're not seeing a duplicate, we're seeing uh, similarities. And they range in width from approximately 400 feet to, to over a thousand feet. So things quite large can fly in there. So here they are, they're all lined up We'll tip this way so you can fly in in like this. Um, there's another man who, um, uh, again, you may already know about him. Uh, he was in charge of um, space security for Israel for nearly 30 years. And in December of, uh, uh, 2020, he decided to go public with some of the things that he knew. And the, one of the things that stands out in my mind is that he made us he made his clear statements in the Jerusalem Post, which is a respected newspaper. And he said that the aliens are working in tandem with the US astronauts. He said that they also have a, a mutual underground uh, facility on Mars. So when I read that and then I discovered these entranceways, uh, that's just like evidence that this really, really um, is a reality. Well, it makes sense because I know I've heard stories of like of the president, you know, that every president knows about them, and there's several cabals of, of, of aliens above us, and we're working with you know with, with all these different you know groups of aliens. Um, sometimes we blame most of the time, including me, we blame our government from keeping things from us. Mm -hmm. That remains true. However, um, the aliens, according to several different sources, feel like maybe we're not ready to, for them to totally expose themselves. So the aliens may, or the ETs may be um, keeping our heads of government from saying more than they do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that makes sense. And I mean we may not be ready for this. If you see the stupidity that's going on in the world today, um, you go, okay, they might be right about this. We may not be smart enough as a group to, to handle this. I think a lot of it, too, is they don't, well, like you say, we're not smart enough to handle it. Plus, they don't want to start a widespread panic because, I mean, there's going to be people that are open to it, and then there's going to be people that aren't open to it. Correct. And then there's going to be a sect of people that aren't really afraid of it. And then those, the, the, the last two will get together, and then you've got a big mess on your hands. Correct. Correct. And uh, there's a, um, a researcher in um, South Africa. His name is Gene Ward. And I don't know if he's the one that initially discovered this or not, but I learned about it through his um, efforts. And he discovered an entrance. In, I'm jumping all over. But he uh, discovered an entrance into Mars quite different than the ones I've described. It looks more like a, an ancient entrance. Um, and it's square cut. 
you mm -hmm. can see into it. It looks almost like the wall is white plaster, um, flat floor, and it's ancient and it looks very, very convincing. Uh, there's a lot of things that you see on YouTube about Mars and you question if it's viable, but uh, uh, I went and uh, I go back to the original source on everything that I do um, mm -hmm. and go back to the original NASA photos and then expand them for myself and find out if they're legitimate. And this is important because um, there was one stone that was really uh, very, very convincing. And it looked like it had ancient hieroglyphs carved into it, you know, vague, but it looked genuine. Almost put it on the website, but again, I always push myself to try to really confirm it every which way. I went back to the original uh, NASA footage and I found the exact rock without any hieroglyphs on it. So somebody was getting a real kick out of creating um, a bogus image. Uh, they get their kicks out of Photoshop mastery. And this was coming out of India. And then I tracked it down and it was coming out of a particular city where there is a university. And I found some more things out of India um, that didn't look like it was like they were legitimate uh, images. And I, I, if I see something from India um, that's about Mars, I go as deep as I can. I will not accept it on face value. And I say this because I don't want your listeners to get, you know, easily fooled by, you know, somebody's great Photoshop abilities. How hard is it? Like, 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 like when you get into like looking into NASA and this stuff, how hard is it to do the research on there? Because I'm sure that even though some of those are unclassified from years and years ago, they're, they're still blacked out. So how, how do you go about doing that? Um, well, I've, I've had that experience myself. I mean, I have found things myself using Google Earth. I'll post it on the website. Oftentimes within a day, it's been blurred. It's been wiped out. It's been replaced with a different photo strip. Uh, so if anybody discovers something while they're using Google Earth, please, you can, there's a key on your, on your uh, keyboard and it'll print the screen, print the screen and save it. Because if I hadn't done that, I would not have been able to show people in my book or on the website um, before and after pictures. Um, this has happened many times. I found another structure on Mars that looked like a, a, a city. You could see the square shaped boxes like you would like the walls of a city. And my guess is it's it would have been new and not old because the edges were really sharp. Um, I posted that and I, in just a very short amount of time, one of the photo strips had been totally replaced, didn't look anything like the original. And the other strip, because it was two of them together like this, and the other one had just been blurred out. So I have the before picture and the after picture. I also, in, in my book, um, Spy in the Sky, I include the coordinates for everything I've found. So people can put those into their Google Earth search, uh, I mean, their, yeah, their Google Earth uh, search bar and find these things for themselves. And that, that, that's important because uh, uh, people need to know and be convinced that things are real and they're not being fooled. Well, how did Werner feel about the space program? And, you know, as far as the, the Martians or whoever, help, you know, help, helping us do this, did he feel that at some point 
we would actually actually be able to travel like, like them? Yes, yes, he did, and um, he's in fact he pre he predicted that in the future, uh, and this is back from nineteen at the sixties, that we would have the technology to get there and to find evidence for the things he was saying. What I find interesting now is that the way it's gone, because we were doing so well going to the moon, you know, and and doing all this, but it seems like we've kind of taken a step back in a way with the program. You know, where we're, we're just relaunching people into space, you know, with these different crafts. And it seems like, in my mind, we, we should have been more advanced than where we are. Did somebody put the brakes on it, you think? I question why we even have missiles going up and rockets going up and uh, to get to the moon, uh, because there's no way that um, we are getting to Mars uh, with that kind of technology. Right, so it's saying. like, it's like, I don't know, what are they trying to do? Spend a whole lot of money to entertain us humans to keep us detracted, uh, distracted from what's really going on? If so, it's rather expensive, but there's no way that rocketry is taking us to Mars. Well, yeah, that's the, the, that's what I mean. I mean, it's, it's like we were getting to the point where we could actually land on a planet, literally land, and then, you know, take off again with, with the space shuttle. And now we're back to where we were, where we're splashing down in the ocean again. It doesn't make any sense. I know. I agree. I don't know why we would spend so much money, so much time, so much effort to essentially keep two different programs going. Mm -hmm. One that's really in the future and one that's in the dark ages, which right. is the one we get to see. Everybody gets real thrilled when the rocket goes up and it's not, it's like behind the times. Well, that's what I mean. It's like you say, two programs. You know, Maybe they're trying to distract us with what they're showing us. And in the meantime, they're building all these really cool spacecraft that we're not supposed to know about. And then they're having these secret space programs. Right. That's my own feeling, but what, you know, uh, pretty hard to, hard to prove, but don't yeah, know. I, I agree hundred percent. Um, do, do the presidents know about what's going on or are they kept in the dark? Um, I know that, um, let me let me get this straight here. I, one of the presidents, and it may have been Carter, one, he, Carter saw a UFO himself. He was at some kind of a meeting somewhere and they were outside. And so he and others saw a UFO in the sky and he intended to um, learn more about it, get to the bottom of it and share it with the public. Um, I believe he's the president where senior Bush who was in charge of the CIA and some other things uh, at different points in his career, uh, told him he didn't need to know. He wasn't, uh, just didn't need to know. So I think some presidents know and some don't. And some are more involved. They all know some, but right. some of them I think know much more than others. And mm -hmm. uh, Senior Bush knew a lot. Well, he, was in the, yeah, he, he was in the CIA too, so he would, wouldn't he? Yes, yeah. So this is fascinating. And I, I, I was reading your online stuff the other night, you know, and going over it. I, I couldn't stop reading it because, I mean, it's just, it's, it's just so unbelievable. But at the same time, it's believable. Um, I don't, I, I should tell a little bit about my background. Sure. I worked for newspapers, I was a newspaper editor. I worked for the Orlando Sentinel and I worked for the Oakland Press in Michigan. And um, 
I just know the importance of really, really checking things out. And so uh, I always have this suspicious part of my mind. I always am seeking proof. I'm always seeking evidence. And the things that I post on the website, which I guess you now have discovered, it's packed with photos too. It's not just words. There's photographic evidence for uh, almost everything that we post. And uh, we live in a visual world. And if we don't, uh, if we just give people gray matter, most people aren't going to read it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is it hard? I mean, when you're doing that research to get people to talk to you about this stuff? Um, what happens is like with the website, people will get familiar with the website and they then decide that I'm worth trusting and they will contact me. That's often the case. Um, it's very unusual for me to be in the right place and be able to meet somebody like a Clark McClellan uh, mm -hmm. firsthand. Um, now, many of the people that contact me, I then will meet with them in person. Um, mm -hmm. But it's because of the website that so many of these contacts are being made. Mm -hmm. And again, it's called skyshipsovercashers.com. The first three words are really easy, sky ships over. And if you type that in your search bar, you'll probably get to it. The last word is cashers. It's spelled just like a cashier at the grocery store. Actually, cashiers is a mountaintop town uh, here in Western North Carolina where I live. And that's where we began to see so many UFOs. And so we started a, a little website just to cover that. Well, we've really outgrown that. We've gone far beyond UFOs over um, cashers or over the mountains here because we've gotten into Bigfoot and Cherokee little people who have lived, both have lived here and um, underground military bases. And it just goes on and on and on. Um, it really goes where my curiosity takes me. And because uh, I get bored if I keep doing the same thing over and over again. It's like this show with me. I do the same thing. That's why yeah. I have like wide topics. Um, why do you think there are some areas that are more active as far as sightings are than others? There's a lot of uh, UFO sightings that are near military bases. Okay. Um, and it could be because they are working in conjunction with the military. It could be because they're actually craft created by, the mil by our government, by our military. Um, they could be, you know, just watching us to see what we're doing. It really depends on the kind of craft. Uh, one example is um, uh, since um, the 90s, there have been many, 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 many sightings of triangular UFOs. Well, they, there was a man who, uh, had, uh, who worked at Area 51, and he, in 19, uh, maybe 98, um, went public at the International UFO Congress and said that these were being made by our government. He showed um, drawings and photos of it. And he said, that's what we're seeing in the sky are these man-made um, triangular craft that were designed to be spy craft. Mm -hmm. So that can explain some of it, um, but nothing simple, you know? Because we do know that there is some interaction with the, our mil some aspects of our military and with ETs. Um, so it can be that too. 
Well, but as long as you ask where you see them, you see them. That's that's a biggie, um, right. a really biggie. And like people see a lot out in um, around Area 51. Well, they're right. doing they test our own creations there, but mm -hmm. there's also interactions with the ETs there. So you never know for certain what you're seeing. Mm -hmm. Well, the reason why I'm smiling is because I live near a former airbase where they would do repair on aircraft. And at night, when the stealth fighter would fly in, and when the B-1 bomber would fly in, it looked like UFOs coming in. Because right. they're that shape. And they got the light, you know. And, right. and what I've seen, like these people that have witnessed them, like on, um, what is the Alaskan Triangle? You know, these different depictions that people have. That's what they are. Because I remember seeing them firsthand. There's no other lights on these planes. Except, except the um, you know the uh, wingtip lights and stuff, and so you can make out the triangle shape on them. It's creepy, right. and they're black because they're cells. Right. So yeah, that's why I was smiling when, when you were saying that because I have seen those planes. Uh, you know, <clears throat> there's also uh, a lot of sightings that are near nuclear plants uh, or nuclear facilities, and that might be because the last thing the ETs want is for us to mess up with some major nuclear disaster. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's. I don't know, remember the details anymore, but there was a major, major story uh, out in Montana where uh, there were craft over um, the, the base where they had uh, military missiles in silos and everything was shut down. The craft, the ET craft did that. Uh, mm -hmm. So there's, they're watching us at that level. So those are two of the really big hot places where you see a lot of UFOs. When I lived in, in Florida, the um, McGill Air Force Base, which is, you know, big command center worldwide, uh, is there. And that alone um, attracts a whole lot of attention. So, Absolutely. Do you think Van Braun ever um, flew, with, flew with the ETs at all or had, uh, or had direct contact with them? Yes, he, he's, he, he has seen them in person face to face. The ones that are from Aldebaran, I believe is the correct pronunciation. And uh, those are the ones that look like Nordics or look like very attractive, tall, blonde humans. What technology, I mean, when we look at the technology that we have now, what do you think stands out as something that the ETs have provided for us or, or helped us with? I don't know if I've really thought that one through. Um, how about tin foil? I mean, aluminum foil, mm -hmm. you know, now, um, I met a, a, a woman. In fact, she's actually a friend of mine who lives not too far from where I am. And her dad was, uh, uh, in the military, um, big time. And she and her little buddy got into uh, his dad's private office at home his dad had kept a piece of metal from the Roswell incident in his locked desk. Uh, the two little grade school kids um, got into his office and managed to get this and they took the foil and the, the, the metal, you know, is a light flat sheet mm -hmm. and it could be crumpled up like this and it would spring right back. Well, they, they were, I mean, they had very bright parents. So I guess it's not surprising that they were very creative um, they um, put it in the oven to see what would happen if it was in the oven. They turned it way up. 
there was a man who did shoeing of horses um, and they rode their bikes there and went there and they had him, um, you know, put it through the, the heat there and to bang on it. And it still went back to its original shape. Um, um, they tested it in so many different ways and it always returned to its original shape. And yet it was very, very thin. I think aluminum foil is sort of like, like halfway there. Uh, because it doesn't retain heat. You can take the tin foil, uh, tin foil, the aluminum foil off a baking dish in your oven with your bare hands. It doesn't, it doesn't keep the heat. So you have to wonder if something like that was developed there. Um, my understanding is that um, um, the technology for computers um, came from ETs, or at least in part came from ETs. I'm just fascinated by all this. Somebody in the chat room says the moon could be a launch point to get to Mars. For some reason, your audio is not as loud for me to hear. I did not hear all of that. Try it again. Somebody in the chat room said that the moon could be a launch pad or a launch point to get to Mars. Uh, yes, it could be. Yeah, It could be. Uh, because there's something about getting out of gravity and use it. I don't know. It's like using it like a uh, whip to to get it out there, um, but even that, I think we might have technology beyond that. And the other thought too that I have with Mars is Mars is in a really great spot that if someone wants to travel through the universe, Mars would be a great launching spot for that. That's true too, isn't it? You've you've thought it a couple steps ahead of everybody else. <laughs> you know, I shouldn't say everybody. It's never everybody. Right, right, right. Right, right. What do you think is the next step in our space program? Hmm. I think the focus will continue to be on Mars for quite some time. And eventually, they're going to have to come clean with humans on Earth about what's really going on. And I think eventually that will happen. There is some kind of a meeting that they have every year in Washington, D.C. Um, it's about... Um, Mars, and it it's devoted to looking into the future, what might happen on Mars, or if this could happen, or that could happen. And my own opinion is that by the time they're talking about it at that meeting, it's probably already a reality on Mars. Absolutely. Have you heard of Project Cam? I'm sure you've heard of Project Camelot, right? I'm sorry? Um, um, have you heard of Project Camelot? Um. You mean the uh, website or the uh, podcast? Yeah, the secret space program and all that. That, oh. that we ha we actually have people who are already stationed on Mars and and, and nobody realizes it. Um, yes, and I've never written an article on it because there's people who uh, claim that they have been to Mars on a like 20 years and then they come back mm -hmm. um, as part of the military program. That's probably true. But it's there's no way you can even begin to prove it, at least at this point. Uh, but that is a real strong possibility. Because, I mean, if that's the case, then we have already created these ships that the, 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 that the aliens are using. Because, I mean, don't we go back in time when we fly Mars? Like, essentially, it, it would be like 30 years in the future, but then, we, but then they have to come back and, and gain that time back. It's like the nearest star, right? Right. 
Um, I don't have all the answers to some of this. If I ever get a real clear cut one, I will put it on the website. <laughs> No problem. I'm just I'm just throwing things out there, you know. No, you're thinking about possibilities, and that's good for the mind to do that. It's a good mental exercise. Oh, I'm going to tie I'm going to tie Area 51 with um, the the Nazis and their involvement with okay. with us in this country. Um, there's a um, there was a man. Uh, his name was Bill Tom um, Pollock. Okay. He um, designed the security system for Area 51. He designed the security system for uh, Air Force One. So you know that he's heavily involved in all of this. And he went to a meeting at a place called Tonopah, which is less well known than um, Area 51. And he was supposed to report in with a whole bunch of other people. And they were going to Tonopah to do a presentation on whatever they were doing at that time. Mm -hmm. And an airplane flew in flew in as close as it could to the door. Uh, a man got out dressed in um, what he described as like um, um, very sophisticated European clothing and shoes, uh, walked into the place, sat, I believe, in the back of the room and was listening to all this when he finally, or to everybody's presentation, when he finally spoke, he spoke in high German. After the meeting, he, he left, he got on the plane and took off. And... Um, that was another piece of evidence that uh, uh, the Nazis may very well still be involved in what we're doing. Interesting. And the other thing you know, that goes along with that is the Nazis did um, design the first jet. Um, I did not know that. Yeah. I knew that they did the uh, first uh, man-made UFO. Yeah, they had the first jet. Yeah. They were the the first jet, jet I didn't know. Yeah, so that's kind of interesting. You know, when, when you think about putting that patchwork together with, with, with them working with the aliens and stuff. Mm -hmm. I just wonder, you know, um, like you hear stories of the possible alien contact, like back in the ancient times, just how long they've been coming. Uh, oh, forever, forever. I mean, we see it on cave walls. We see it in medieval uh, religious paintings. Um, they've been involved with uh, us for a very long time. I wish I knew how many different um, alien races um, mm -hmm. are currently involved with our planet. Uh, it's certainly more than one. Mm -hmm. And they're not all the same. They're not all the same. You, you in your introduction, were talking about teaching people psychic uh, protection. Right. And uh, uh, some ETs are good and some are neutral and some aren't so good. And uh, we have to use that. The only protection we have is that gut feeling we get. And uh, if you see a UFO land in your yard, you better pay attention to that gut feeling, whether you want to have anything to do with it or not. Well, the question that comes to mind, you know, along that term, too, is the United States, you know, is the government that arrogant to think that with all the technology that they have and, and these other aliens that like the reptilians that aren't so nice? that we could control them or somehow keep them under or somehow keep them in line. I don't know if that's possible or not. I know that with the uh, tall whites, uh, they were afraid of humans because they are very tall and frail looking. And mm -hmm. we um, tend to be a little bit more robust mm -hmm. and they had some kind of, I'll call it a magic wand and they would use that to defend themselves if they, uh, if a human uh, made them, scared them. Mm 
So I don't know if we can control them at all. I think we're still at the mercy of those that are obviously more advanced than we are. That's what's kind of frightening about the whole about, about the whole thing, as far as I'm concerned. You know, is, is that you know what you know, if they get mad at us that there's something that they don't like? I mean, good luck with that. You know, it just depends. I mean, like I said, there's the good, the bad, and the ugly. And and um, I I personally don't want I don't want any of those uh, reptilians showing up at my place. No, 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 no. And then when you were talking about Mars and the entry points into Mars, I got to thinking about Mount Shasta. Where people right, have because people see UFOs going into there um, or in and out of there. Uh-huh. And uh, obviously, advanced technology that the ETs have protects them from heat. I mean, mm-hmm. I, in my in the books, um, Spy in the Sky, I show these humongous UFOs around the sun. And they're huge. They're bigger than Jupiter. Jupiter is our largest planet. Um, and there's, there's been, uh, pictures where we've seen, there's one, it's like a ball a, a spherical UFO. Mm-hmm. It's like it has an umbilical cord attached to the sun. It's like it's draining, perhaps draining off energy from the sun to, to, uh, um, I don't know, get its energy for its, for whatever it needs. Um, the, I was very, very fortunate, again, because of the website. I was contacted back in 2013 by a man from the Netherlands, and he was taking NASA photos that are taken by the SOHO satellite. The SOHO satellite monitors the sun constantly, and it takes a picture every 15 minutes, um, and anybody can access it. Mm -hmm. And I've found some really fascinating things myself um, that sometimes appear around the sun. But this man was a whiz with computers and was able to start um, getting rid of the um, uh, interference and the debris and anything that would keep things from being sharp. And when he did, when he finally finished these, you could see incredible detail. Uh, I'll give you an example. There's one that it just kind of looks like something kind of shooting out this way. And then you zero in and it's like jig jaggedy. And then he was able to keep zeroing in on it. And it had a metal structure that was as intricate as like a a saxophone. You know how a saxophone is metal and shiny and has all these different bumps and bumps and keys. And uh, it's that intricate and they're huge. And um, I guarantee you that the section in the, in the book spy in the sky, those, um, those UFOs have never, those pictures have never been published anywhere other than our website and in the book. And I guarantee that nobody's seen these things before. They're incredible. Did, did, Werner, did, did Werner ever say that um, he knew where the uh, aliens were coming from? You know, what galaxies? Did, did he ever find They're out? They're coming from, Al, the ones they were dealing with were coming from the star Aldebaran. And that the people from there are known as the Aryans. And that's why Hitler was so into the Aryan race. Okay. 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 And how far, you know, you probably don't know this, but but how far did they have to travel to get here? I don't know. It's a long way away. I don't know the distance. Okay. Yeah, no problem. No problem. I understand. Do I look like somebody who has all the statistics in their head? (laughs) No, 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 no. 
This is data. <laughs> now, I might put data in an article, but just to whip it off the top of my head, no, I'm not real good at that. <laughs> That's no problem. I'm a journalist, too. I know. It's, it's all good. You know. Um, what do you have to say to people? Should they be afraid of the aliens, you know, if they, if they do decide to disclose it all? I truly think we have to get back to what you teach people, and that is to trust that gut feeling. That is perhaps the only way we can really know for sure. Definitely. And you also, you, you also judge people by their actions. For example, uh, there is a man, um, oh, he had um, the creepy kind of ETs coming into his bedroom. Mm -hmm. And then he got a very serious blood clot in his leg and it swelled up to the point where the doctors were afraid he might die. And suddenly there was um, like a, an ET that showed up at the foot of his bed that looked um, like almost like a spirit angel kind of image. And he woke up the next morning and the leg was all back to normal. So there are wonderful stories about um, ETs healing people. Uh, most of them, so most of this, those stories are coming from those who um, are ETs that look like humans. They, that team, that that's more common. I don't know great stories about reptilians healing people, though they may have. I don't know. No, I never heard anything positive about reptilians <laughs> in all the years. Um, looking at the scientists now, you know, you go back to like I said, Werner, and like I said in my intro to all this that. You know, there's scientists that believe in this stuff, scientists that don't believe in this stuff. Do you think that more and more, since the ETs have been working with our scientific community, that there's more scientists that believe? Yes, and I think there's more humans, period, that believe. Uh, and we have been accl acclimated over the years. For example, there is a commercial now where a little girl is eating cereal. Uh, I think it's an ad for almond milk. And a little cute, cuddly little... Um, E.T. shows up at the breakfast table. We are seeing so much in the way of E.T.'s and craft in even children's cartoons and children's movies and uh, go back to E.T. I mean, that was back, what, in the what, early 80s, maybe, when E.T. came out. And truly, it's an ugly little thing, but um, it, it people loved the little creature. And that was part of a way of acclimating people to... Um, um, other races, other species, other dimensions. Do you think so? Yeah, like I think I think everybody's becoming more open. And uh, there used to be, it was like a requirement when somebody was being interviewed about ETs or UFOs on, let's say, a, a program like Larry King. It was like mandatory that they would have the skeptic on there too. Well, sure. that is no longer the case. You can actually have somebody come on and talk about that thing, those kinds of things, and not have somebody with a contrary opinion having to balance it out. You also don't see people in the media joking about ETs and little green men and stuff like they did not that many years ago. So we, as an entire civilization, have been evolving to being more open-minded to this, and that certainly is impacting the scientists too. Absolutely, absolutely. So what do you say to people now, you know, to, to get them to be, you know, to, for the ones that aren't very accepting of it, what, what, what would your message be? 
you can't force anything on people. Mm-hmm. You absolutely can't. And uh, uh, if if people who don't believe this stuff, eventually they're going to be hearing more and more of it. There, hopefully there will be a point where they will have to open their minds to some greater possibilities. Uh, but you never win an argument with somebody who's set in their ways. It's a waste of energy. Absolutely. Mary, this, this hour has gone by. I've enjoyed it immensely. Thank you for having me on. And I, I would encourage people to check out the website, skyshipsovercashers.com. And uh, my book, my, uh, all my books are available on Amazon. I've got one about Bigfoot, Little People, Underground Bases, and the latest one, Spy in the Sky. Now, I've heard, I've heard stories about little people, too. That's for another show. I'm just saying, I've heard those stories as well. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you came on, and I would love to have you on again to talk about other topics. Okay. Thank you very much. You have a good evening. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Wow. That, that, that was a big wow, guys. I'm really glad she came on. I'm just I'm so, I'm so into that stuff that you can't imagine. My father growing up had worked at or my father growing up. Well, my father told me stories about working at Boeing aircraft, and he had, he had worked on different airplanes and stuff. So he was a plane nut. So, we, you know, the, again, like we were always um, at the airports on the weekends. We're always looking up in the sky at the different airplanes and stuff. So, I mean, I, I grew up with all that. It's in my blood. So, uh, anyway, this, this, this was a great experience. I want to thank you guys for coming tonight. I really appreciate all of you coming. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, God, allergies really bad. And tomorrow, Nancy Matz is going to be with us. It's Casual Fridays with Nancy Matz. And she's going to be doing readings. So this is your chance. You have one question for her. Who is with you? Are they trying to get a message to you? And what, what, is, you know, what is that message for whoever's with you? So remember to have one question picked, and she will go ahead and do the reading for you. All right? And this, this kind of ties into what we did last Friday, talking about messages from the dead. Well, Nancy's going to... You know, this is your chance to see if, if anybody with you has has a message. All right? So remember to have that one question ready tomorrow, and we're going to be doing that. And we'll keep going until everybody gets their, you know, gets their uh, question answered tomorrow. So it might go one hour, it could go two hours, who knows. But you guys know how it is when Nancy's on. Anyway, again, I want to thank you all for coming. And uh, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show... Share it with five of your enemies. We are equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio. Also, again, I want to remind everyone, if you like the show and you're watching from Facebook, please do share. I mean, not share. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Please follow. Or you can share it, too. That's fine, too. But, but please do follow because, um, you know, the more followers, the merrier. And uh, if you're watching from uh, YouTube, again, you know, there's that little guy. Let's see if I can do it with the, right, the, the correct hand this time. Try to like aim this camera. There we go. I'm just gonna do it this way, like over in this corner over here. There we go. <laughs> the little ghost with the magnifying glass and the Sherlock Holmes hat, and click on that, and that will make you a subscriber. We've got more than 250 videos over there with different topics. I like to keep things going here, you know. And uh, if you're watching from Twitch, please follow. And the same thing for TikTok because we are over at TikTok under California Haunts. And also. Remember, Saturday, I'm going to be teaching that psychic development class, 7 p.m. Pacific. And, again, you can hook up with that over at the California Haunts Meetup. And this evening, later on, you'll be able to, to uh, check it out at CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. Uh, you see that flashing thing at the bottom of the page? Well, that's because 
California Haunts takes no money to do ghost hunts. I own it. It comes out of my pocket. So all the expenses for equipment, all the expenses for lighting, like even for the show, computers and all that, comes out of my pocket. And I have to pay internet fees just like anybody else. So if you can find it in your heart to help me out, because I want to keep the show on the air, keep being guests like, like, like Mary on the show. All right. So if you could help me out with that, that'd be great. That's at PayPal.me at California Haunts. Or if you don't, don't like PayPal, we have a Venmo. Just go to Venmo and type in California Haunts. You can get to us by yeah, at that point. But I want to thank you guys for coming again tonight. And again, tomorrow, Nancy Mats will be here doing readings for you. One question only, so, so write that down, okay? So uh, I'm going to give you uh, Mary's information and with her books and her website, and uh, we're going to close it out. So here we go. That would be ships, skyshipsovercashiers.com. Cashiers as in let's go purchase something.com. And her books, the Cherokee Little People, Underground Military Bases, and you've got Bigfoot, Intangible Evidence of Jesus, and that new one she was talking about as well. That's that I didn't see posted on Amazon at all. And of course, they're all, they're, all her books are available at Amazon, and that's under Mary A. Joyce. All right, guys, I will see you tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Have a great evening.